Rock Harbor. Good to see everybody this morning. Coming to the end of October. Y'all know Thanksgiving is next month, right? Yeah. <laughs> Christmas in 60 days. Thanks. Thanks, Tanner. Thanks. <laughs> That's why I just kind of throw it out there. Just If y'all hadn't made your scheduler yet, now you, you kind of know how to make it. Page 36 in our study guide, Central Truth is that because humans are created by God in His image, all human life must be valued. Title of the lesson is The Sanctity of Human Life. We're talking about the value of life. We've talked about that in here before him. And it should be a stance of the church. It should be the stance of the church that we value human life. We should also know why we value human life, where that comes from, the creation of it. All of those things. We, the, the church should have a strong stance on the value of human life and preserving human life. Now, I'm not going to turn this into a political issue. Uh, I'm going to turn this into a truth issue. Make sure we're truth dealers. That's what we do here. And we deal truth. And so uh, I don't have to go and, and talk about politics, even though it is a hot topic in politics, uh, human life, and where does human life begin, and all that stuff. Um, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about human life and why the church should be standing by this. One of the reasons that this has crept in, if you've ever looked and wondered, and, and I go back to the scripture. I was just talking to uh, an individual about this the other day. The judgment begins in the house of God. You know that scripture. Judgment begins in the house of God. And I, and I said, most of the issues that are going on today are our fault. Like, What? you talking about i said most of the issues that are going on today are the church's fault the church allowed some of these things to creep in because the church didn't have a proper stance and a proper viewpoint of what needed to be said and what needed to be did at that point or done at that point and so when the church was confronted by issues and things the church wanted to be nice about it they wanted to be kosher about it they wanted let's all get along jesus is love let's just try to love through this and because the church didn't have an articulated answer that was strong, some of these things come in. Now, I'm not accusing anybody. This is a blanket thing. It's that the church got lax and the church got a little lazy in the way that they stood. But now that our backs are against the wall, everyone seems to be standing pretty well. The scary and disturbing thing about it is now that the church's backs are against the wall... People have taken stances, and I'm starting to see this broad spectrum of stances across the board coming from the so-called church. You wouldn't think that, the, that there would be a, an element of the church that would disagree with preserving human life. But they're there. We've got to make sure we know where we stand. You've got to make sure you know where you stand, and you make that stand. Make that known. It's too late now for, you know, discussions and talks. People have already chosen their sides. We just have to stand for what we know is right according to God's word. And when I say that, I mean that uh, in its literal sense, according to God's word. Okay. Under Let's Get Started, one of the most div divisive topics in many cultures today is the topic of the sanctity of life, often centering around when life begins, but also debating the quality of life and when life is really over. In general, the church typically stands on the side of life. Yeah, typically. But we often do not clearly articulate the reasons for that position. I'm not saying that you have to be a scholar in the topic. I'm not saying that. I will tell you this, though. 
you have to know and be able to articulate to people what you believe and why you believe it. Amen. Articulation. I'm, I'm saying this honestly. I'm saying this is a challenge for you. I'm saying this is a challenge for me. The church hasn't always been real good at articulation. Hadn't had the best articulative ability to explain why we believe what we believe. Most of the time the answer was because that's the way it was told to me. And so the church has to be able to articulate why do you believe this? What is your stance on this? You don't have to you don't have to be a politician to be able to articulate a decent answer. I said a decent answer, a competent answer as to why we believe some of the things that we believe. I actually in the years and I'm still working on it, church. I'm still brushing up on it. In the years uh, being a Christian, I was challenged on some of these topics, and I thought, you know, why is it that I don't understand that? I just have always just said, well, that's just the way that it is. Never been really able to articulate that. So over the years, I've worked on that and brushed up on that. If I'm ever asked why I believe this, I need to know how to give this answer in proper form. Uh, you could say I had to sharpen my sword quite a bit. In, in areas that I just took for granted. It's like, well, and it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes too, church. You got to understand because when you live in an area where predominantly everybody believes the same thing, you're not ever challenged on your belief. But the, the demographic is changing. Could you agree with that? Yeah. The demographic's changing. People are starting to believe all kinds of crazy stuff. And so the church really needs to have the sword sharp. <coughs> need to know what you believe, need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And make sure that you're equipped to give a, 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 a competent answer. You don't got to be a super answer. It ain't got to be a perfect answer. A competent answer of, of being able to defend uh, what you believe. Okay. In this lesson, we will discuss some of the reasons life is so valuable. And what our responsibility is in advocating for life. We're advocates for life, right? We stand for life. We're, we're promoters of that. Um, in, in saying that, we're promoters for family, Right? We promote um, the union between one man and one woman. We promote uh, the, the family setup, uh, having children. Have a bunch of children if possible. And I, I, a lot of people argue about bringing children. I listened to this argument yesterday, and that's why it's fresh on my mind. It's like, why in the world would you want to bring a kid into this world? This is a crazy, crazy world. Okay, it might be debatable, but I can tell you what will happen. If Christians stop mm -hmm. having children, we're in real big trouble. Amen. Amen. You don't believe me? You can look at the statistics uh, and look at the things that are going on in China and why they're afraid that their race won't even be here in the next 30 years. Because yeah. they didn't have any kids. There's no one to take over. So if... Christian people aren't having children and passing that on to them and saying, hey, this is how you live. This is the morals of life. These are the ethics. This is what the Word of God says. This is, this is who God is. If you're not doing it and, you, and we pull out, no children. We're just not going to have any children. Forget that. And I'm going to tell someone else the same thing. I'm going to tell you, hey, look, you guys might want to think about just having maybe you know, one and that, that's it. Just stop right there. Now, I'm not knocking anybody that's ever had one kid, but I'm telling you, if Christians don't understand how this works, then we're in trouble. There won't be nothing left in the next 30 years. That, that's not, that's scientific. 
Yeah. People that move to this country that come from other sex of life have six, eight, ten kids. Mm-hmm. And guess what? They're taught. Not what we're taught. Right. Absolutely. So now they get to vote. I th- I, I'm pretty sure, sh- yeah, and that's that's important too, especially in a democracy. So I'm, I'm not certain on the exact year, but I know that in the next 30 to 40 years, and I could be completely wrong about this, but I studied this recently, I believe the number is somewhere between 30 and 40 years Christianity will not be the dominant religion on the face of the planet. You will not be. No more. And it's merely for the fact that there's not Numbers. enough of us being produced and converted in order to pull that off. Not even within the core of the people who already believe. It's not being taught. It's not being carried over. It's being left. So you can research that yourself, but I think it's a very interesting thought. And then couple that with the falling out that's taking place. Yeah. And falling out of Christianity off the mind. That's a huge impact. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of factors there. There really is. That's good. Okay. Let's keep moving. Cultural norms have a way of slipping into our minds and hearts. This is true. We can all say amen to that. Left unchecked, this infiltration can turn our eyes from Scripture, close our minds to the Holy Spirit, and warp our worldview. This this is very true. Um, I'm all for. I'm all for opinion. That's fine. You're allowed to believe or think whatever you want to believe and think. Um, But I think that's also one of the most detrimental things within the church is that the church somewhere adopted this idea that opinion is superior to fact. The way that I think and the way that I feel is superior to even what thus saith the Lord is. In that that yeah yeah I hear what your word I hear what the Bible says, yes I know that, but I don't feel that way. <laughs> I don't feel like it should be marriage between a man and a woman. I don't feel like there's anything wrong with aborting the child before he's born. I don't feel like there's any issue or problem with that. Do you, do you see the problem? You see the, the thing that has been created where people are, are not operating within the, the realm of the Word of God and operating on uh, just simple obedience. Just whatever God's Word says, and then we study, we research it, we find out, okay, that's, the, that's what it's saying. And we run our lives by that. Uh, for some reason, uh, somewhere along the line, opinion became superior to fact. And you can see that not just within the church room. You can see that when you turn on your television. That opinion is superior to anything else. And they'll interview them. They'll stick that microphone right there. What do you think? What do you think about that? Well, I just think it ought to be this way. And it's so interesting how they always interview the people who are contradictory to it. I always think that's funny. Opinion. Opinion, spirit, or everything. Someone had their hand up. Go ahead, Pastor. Now get stated. It's a saturation and indoctrination of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and the influence. The mm-hmm. influence is just beyond what we can even imagine. Yeah. Media has super control now. People believe what they hear, they believe what they see, mm-hmm. and that affects everything. So there's on so many facets that are really kicking up here this morning. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a rabbit hole. We could really chase that thing. That's good. If your if your answer is because it says it in the Bible, it's not good enough. No, because a lot of times they don't even know where that's at. Not only that, but don't even know how the arguments made or the context of it. I agree. 
completely. That's very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, both ways, and, and and some of it is just and I and I'm I say this carefully. Uh, some of the stuff we believe, I found this out years later. Some of the stuff that we even quote to ourselves is not even in there. You quote it, and we, we put that in a religious category, and we're like, well, it says this. And then I got to looking and found out that it wasn't actually in there. It was, it was people had spun it so many times with our Western language and our Western culture that it ended up not even being in there anymore. And it was just an idea. That should scare you, that you are supporting just an idea of religion, not actual belief in itself. Uh, my biggest thing is when I talk about the word to people, and I'm guilty of it too. Before you know, I was saved and stuff. There's all there's an in between. There's heaven. There's an in between, and then there's heaven. <laughs> right. Yeah. You sure. know, and I'm guilty of it too mm-hmm. until I learned the lesson. And um, and I'm like, there's no in between. And now I'm like, there's no in between. There's either this or there's this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and going in, in between feels better. Yeah, and a lot of people just think there is that in between. Sure, because it, <laughs> it feels like there should be. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, the startling and disturbing thing is, it, that there's not. And that kind of knocks it out of you. Very good. Go ahead, Jim. Last question myself. Uh, why would God, you know, let a little baby be born and then that's just maybe a, a little while there's something wrong with it and it dies? Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why would he do that? And I uh, answered myself. That soul is important to God. Mm-hmm. It don't matter Absolutely. if it lives a minute or it lives till it's born or, or whatever. Old, right. That soul is important to God. Mm-hmm. And God's going to take care of that soul. Absolutely. That's right. Very good. All right. Good, good comments this morning. All right. Let's keep moving. Though countercultural... Uh, Though countercultural, the right perspective on the value of human life is revealed through the Bible's teaching and the Spirit's leading. All right, what did it say there? That's a good point in the lesson. The Bible's teaching and the Spirit's leading. So we were talking, we've been talking a lot about that. We, we, we always seek the, the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, right? You've got to understand his role in the matter. He, he's the revealer of what? Truth. He's a truth dealer. That's what he does. If you seek the Lord's face... And you start to get revelation, it's by the means of the Holy Spirit who's telling you the truth and what you need to see in those scriptures. Okay. When we rely on these and build our lives on their foundation, everything they say about the sanctity of life and the character of the one who created and sustains it, we can measure the world's ideas against the truth of God. Okay. Page 37. Reading scriptures this morning. Miss Haven, go right ahead. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Psalms 139.13 You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making 
can be so wonderfully complex. Your working with is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Isaiah 43.5 God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. Acts 17.24 He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Thank you. Section 1, Humans Created in God's Image. God spoke giving form and life to plants, fish, birds, animals, all living things. But he took a different approach when he created humans, showing the unique value he places on them. After carefully forming man from the dust, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living soul. That's how you were created. That's how it was created at the very beginning. Okay? This, this approach... And, and what the Bible states this when it says that we were formed of the dust of the ground and then he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. That automatically demands a response from you and I of respect. Absolute respect and reverence to someone who can breathe and give life. That's it's like, okay, he's the life giver. That any, for, for him to be able to do that, to me it's a statement. of Yes, it's the truth. But I take it a step further within my own realm and my own world for myself, and I think any, any anybody that that has the capability of, of of breathing life and then bringing life from the dust of the ground—I mean, literally, there's nothing there—and for him to breathe into nothingness and then something to come out of it, he's the creator. No, there's no argument from me. He's the creator, and I don't really even care what form it is. Uh, that's that's. How do I put it? That's at a very base level. I mean, we're talking about dust, right? We're talking about dust having breath blown into it and it coming to life. There's nothing on this planet that can supersede that act. So that puts him in the superiority category. So he deserves the utmost reverence and respect for his ability to give life. This is why the church should side with the defense of the value of life, because it come from the one who's able to breathe it. Breathe it. You didn't get it from a vending machine. Uh, it didn't come. You didn't earn it. He breathed it, and life began. That's that's a literal a literal statement. And exactly what that looked like, I don't know. That would be a really interesting thing to have seen, how that actually worked. But for him to breathe and for life to come. Uh, out of him and into the dust, and all of a sudden there's a man. That's magnificence. That's magnificence. Um, 
such were our Sunday school stories when we were kids. Um, I think that maybe there are times that we breeze, o- breeze over that and not realize the value of the content that is in this breath that was breathed and that exists in every human being. They're all from God. He created them all. They're his creation. So as such, with him them being his creation, he deserves reverence because he is the creator. He created. We're the created. He's the creator. Understanding your position in life, I think, is very important. There's a lot of people today, as I've heard it stated before, playing God. They don't want that position. They want to be the givers of life. Not they. They want to be a creator, not the created. See, the created. There's a stance with that created, created worship, and created honor and reverence. Create a creator gets reverence and gets honor. You see what people are wanting? That's what they're wanting. They're literally wanting to take the position of God and playing God by doing some of the things that they're doing. Some of the stuff today. I've even heard about some of the stuff that they're doing now. It's so perverted and crazy that I'm not even going to mention it. It doesn't deserve to be mentioned. Um, it's, it's that far gone. But it's simply this, people trying to be God. They're trying to create something. And, and if, if AI wasn't disturbing enough, some of the stuff that they're doing now, I'm thinking, my goodness, this is, this is the type of stuff that stirs God's anger. This is the stuff that pushes societies off the edge uh, not able to be recovered because of their stance and their views on things. Okay. Um, where's that? Okay. I'm going, yeah, living soul. Filled with God's breath, Adam was different from the rest of creation, demonstrating the unique way God would interact with humanity. God's care for humans is also evident when he acknowledged Adam was without adequate companionship. God determined to make a helper who is just right for him. After naming all the animals, Adam had not found the right helper, so God used one of Adam's ribs to create a woman. Here we got, so what do we got going on here again? Creation again. Creator. He's created, and the woman is formed, and she's a part of the created. The the superiority, he's, he's showing superiority here. Now it's not dust, now it's a rib. And you could say, well, there's a lot of things attached to that. There's, you know, we could we could get to the scientific aspect of it, start talking about DNA and all of those things. But the mere fact that he took the rib shows his superiority in being a creator. To be able to take the rib and then make the woman, you think, why did he do that? I don't know, and I really don't care. <laughs> he did it. They could have said he took a finger. Didn't matter. The superiority of his ability to create. He's a creator. So the created then in turn reverences the creator, who would later be named Eve. God's value of humanity manifests through his seeing and providing for their needs. So as a creator, and you being the created, don't you know that he understands what you need as an individual? Because you were created by him. Not just created, but he's the superior creator of all things. So he knows you. From top to bottom, from front to back, he knows you. He knows your body. He knows when you're in need of physical healing. He knows when you're in need of spiritual healing. He understands you perfectly because he's the one that created you. When you start talking about those type of things, it really brings a heavy reverence 
it's like, whoa, you know what? I've known that, but I've never really given it a whole lot of thought. It took from him which he had made mm -hmm. a part of him and made that which would be his mate. That's mm -hmm. a connection. Yeah. He didn't make woman out of some bark of a tree somewhere. He <laughs> out of the man. That's unique. Mm -hmm. That stands today. Yep. Uh, you know, there's, there's like I said, there's a lot to be said here. I don't want to get off. Sure. Of yeah. But it's just so wonderful how God created and made. Absolutely. So we, we the the creator being who he is and being able to create here. So he said, um, have you ever visited a museum and noticed a crowd of people gathered around a surprisingly unremarkable painting? It's likely the artwork was famous for the artist who created it rather than its own beauty. Likewise, every person on earth is a masterpiece, regardless of appearance, intelligence, or wealth, because of the one who created them. Yes. That, this, this comes back to self-worth. Okay, so... What do we pin our self-worth on? This is good. I think this is a good discussion point. It's like, what have we pinned our self-worth on? Has it been our jobs? Has it been success? Has it been, um, have we allowed our past to define us? I mean, there's all kinds of things that we could, we could chase on that. But it's important for us as God's people, once again, we come back to that, to make sure that we distance ourselves from every other identity and make sure that our identity is in Christ. Because he's the creator. It's like my identity is in him. He's the one who created me. He deserves that position from me. He deserves for he deserves that from me. My stance has got to be God first. Everything else is below that. It's got to be because of who he is. And so do like a self-evaluation this morning on your self-worth. Like where does that come from? And do we actually find it in Christ or have we defined ourselves based on something we've accomplished, something we've done? There's nothing wrong with accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with succeeding and doing things in that realm, in that nature, uh, and, and become, uh, I would say um, maybe uh, garnering wealth or, or whatever the, the situation is. There's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure that we understand that our worth, even if those things disappeared, our worth comes from God. So I look at it and I think of um, I think of Solomon, I think of his position, I think of his wisdom, I think of him being the richest man that's ever walked the face of the planet, I think of his the, all the things that he had. I think in a symbolic kind of way, everybody living in Western culture is is trying to get the most out of that culture that they possibly can. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but just hang with me for a minute. I look at some of the things that Solomon said about having it all and if there's anyone that had the authority to talk on the topic it had been him if anyone had the authority to talk about what it was like to have it all because he said it himself i've got handmaidens and i got i got maids and i got this and i got gardens i got land i got all of these things <coughs> and he was talking about how great it was but at the end he said it was just really kind of all vanity and it all faded away and i realized that all of it was saved <coughs> up only to give it to the next person and even though that was kind of at a low point in his life, he's telling you some really interesting truth. It's like if the richest man on the face of the planet became unhappy, why would I ever want his position? Why would I even want my life to even look like that? Now, of course, there's a lot of great things to glean from him. But I've heard, I've listened to testimonies from sports stars, movie stars, 
that converted all said the same thing, all common denominator. I was empty. I looked and I looked and I looked and I had, I had it all. I had houses, I had cars, I had everything, and I still could not find the end of myself. It just kept going and going. I'm thinking, man, no, we're not them. We're just like little miniature versions of it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Where they're clawing for the millions, they're, we're clawing for the thousands. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying, listen, you understand where I'm coming from. I might keep repeating myself. I want to make sure that we understand that our self-worth is not in those things. It's got to come from the creator. I know for me personally, the self-worth gets tied in with my feelings and emotions, like I said earlier. Oh, yeah. And then Amen. you get wandering off in that path. Oh, they did me wrong. This didn't go that way. Something happened here. Oh, I'm angry. Oh, I'm sad. Whatever it is. And your feelings will battle you around like yeah. it says in James, like the waves of the ocean. You just get chunked every which way. <laughs> that's true. And that's why we have to have our self-worth tied in the word of God and who Christ is. Or we're just going to batter ourselves to death and we're not going to know what our true self-worth is. Yeah, that's good. Because it only comes from a reflection of who he is. That's right. That's good. Okay, let's keep moving. Not only did God form Adam and Eve, but he imprinted them with his own image. Genesis 1.27. You know that scripture. Unlike the rest of creation, humans carry the very likeness of their creator. That likeness gives every person value and should affect how we treat one another. God explained to Noah... That his image in each person is the reason murder is prohibited. It's because of the the image of God. Everyone's created in the image of God, regardless of whether you like him or not. But what does that mean, though? That means they deserve respect. There's respect because they were, this is one of the reasons why we have a justice system. It's like the more evil people going, you know, doing some of the stuff they've done, they don't deserve justice. Well, maybe in some cases, but the justice system was created as a respect for humanity. It's set up for because you are a human. They're a human. I'm a human. And there's a certain amount of respect that comes with that. And so that helps us also treat people in, other, in a particular way, to treat other people with respect. Bearing God's image establishes our identity, but it also gives us authority. Like Adam and Eve, we work on God's behalf to care for the things and people he has made, coupling prayer with action so his will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let me say that. I'm going to say the sentence right there one more time. Listen to what he's saying there. Like Adam and Eve, what was Adam and Eve's job? To tend to the garden. Adam was put in an authoritative position to watch and to guard the garden. So he says, we work, like Adam and Eve, we work on God's behalf to care for the things and people he has made. So the work does what? The work carries on. The work of what? Tending to the things of God. Uh, no, we're not living in a garden, that's for sure. <laughs> we're, not, we're not living in those circumstances. But see, the, even though there was a curse that come with the disobedience, the commission still remains the same, that our responsibility is to care for the things that God has put into your life because they're his. You know there's scriptures throughout the Bible that talk about this. Whether you want to talk about talents, whatever it is, he's put you in a place to care for those things. Sometimes it's, you could say, well, sometimes it's materialistic. Sometimes it's people he's put into your life for you to care for. You may not like that person. You may wish that wasn't your season. (laughs) Nevertheless, he's put that person in your life and without um, without you tending to them, it may not end up well. 
When we recognize God's image in ourselves and each other, we begin to understand what that truly means. We treat one another with respect and value human life at every stage. All right, let's move to section two. Life begins at conception. The miracle of life doesn't begin in the second trimester or when a baby descends the birth canal. Life begins at the moment of fertilization, when a baby's genetic makeup is complete. This is where the church's stance is. Typically, this is where we stand. This is where I stand. That life begins at conception. This is, this is a stance of the church. This should be a strong stance of the church. This is something that we should... I'm not talking about going out and stirring up trouble, but this is the, th- the kind of truth that we rattle people with. This is what we believe. We believe that God formed life. He cre- he's the creator of life. And at conception, God has breathed life into that little being. And God's handiwork is at work. <laughs> That's what we stand. The child has 46 chromosomes at conception. 23 form each parent. 23 from each parent. Fully alive and fully unique, the baby is instantaneously comprised of 50,000 genes determining gender, hair color, body type, skin tone, and many other characteristics. Uh, there's, um, there's some stuff that has been going on for a little while now. Uh, they've gotten so much, they, I'll use the word advanced. They say it's advanced. I don't know if it's advanced. It's kind of depraved. In my opinion, it's my opinion. It's a, depraved. You can choose how your child looks at the very onset. You want your child to have blonde hair? We can make it happen. Manipulated gene manipulation. It's and it's it's uh, gene splicing, and so when you start getting into the realm of taking the creator, see once again we're taking the creator's job from him. No, you don't get that job. That's my job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to step in and I'm going to 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 make it the way that I want it because it feels right. See, it all started with those feelings. I got feel like this is a good a great. You should, wouldn't it be great if you could, you could go in, in almost like a buffet line, choose the characteristics of your child before that child is ever born? To me, it's preposterous. I mean, why would we want to take that job away from God? We shouldn't, especially even if uh, we get into the, the gender aspect of it. God is uh, the, the process that God has created decides the gender. I believe that I almost pop is that from the male my wife would be able to know for sure is that correct yes i thought i remembered that correctly <laughs> um what to expect when expecting that's come from that book <laughs> the the gender aspect of this once again is in god's hands it's either male or female do we stand beside that church Amen. yes it's either male or female david may not have known these specific details But he understood the miracle taking place when he wrote, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy thy works. In God's eyes, no human is a surprise or mistake. Listen to this very carefully, and I think the lesson does a very good job of explaining this. Even a child conceived in horrific circumstances has a future according to God's plan. You saw me before I was born. Now, I won't get into that. Let me hold on just a second. Even a child conceived in horrific circumstances has a future according to God's plan. This is usually where people get really divisive and start splitting over the opinion of it. Regardless, and I want to make sure I I convey this correctly, regardless of the circumstances, you have to remember the child did not get a choice in the matter. 
the child never got a choice. See, the child needs a voice because the child does not have a voice at that point. And so the child, regardless of the circumstances, has to be defended. Who's going to defend the child? We could say, well, the circumstances say that we should kill the child. No. Who's, who created the child? Say, well, it was bad circumstances. Regardless, the process still remains the same. The child did not get a say in the matter. And so the child needs a voice. One of the, um, I don't remember, I'm trying to remember the name of the organization. There was a lady, she's a, and Haven, I don't know if you remember this story or not. There was a lady, she's a head of an uh, organization that defends uh, human life and, and uh, sanctity of human life. And she's, she's a uh, speaker and she talks about, uh, you know, making sure that people understand that life is at conception and uh, defending the children. She herself was put in the trash can alive and a nurse found her. She was disposed of. She was at an abortion that went wrong. She was aborted. They took her. They put her in the trash can. They were done. And they heard her cries. And a nurse snatched her out of the trash can. And she grew to be a defender of human life. Isn't that ironic? It's like, it's, it's, it's horrific. It's a horrific thing. But to see, to see that, you think, well, you know, they, they thought she didn't have any worth. She's got worth. God had a plan. Amen. So I, I think that was it's a very inspiring thing. Haven, do you remember that? Do you remember her name? No. Okay, that's fine. We'll look into that later. Maybe I'll get you a name. Okay. Um, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I, will, I want to make sure that when I say that, you don't think that this means predestination. It's not what this is talking about here in Psalms. It's not a predestination thing. I want you to, I'm going to quote it again. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. This is a reference to my life being before me. Not a predestined life, but the giver of life has said, go live. Does that make sense? Life is before me. Yes, it's still my decision. I can make good decisions, and I can make bad decisions. This doesn't mean that when you say my, uh, the life is recorded in the book, it isn't like every decision that you've made, oh, yeah, it's, it's already been predestined that you're going to make those decisions. No, that's not what it's speaking about here. There's actually been quite a bit of argument over these scriptures right here, meaning predestination. No, it's not. God is a free will agent, and he allows you to make free will. allows you to choose your path. But life is before you. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Everything is in front of you. Go live. When we view a person from God's perspective, we see a valuable sacred life for whom God has a plan. Now, do we, do we believe that God has a plan for every human being? Amen. It is a plan. And so, does it necessarily mean that it has to be some large, gigantic, divine thing that takes place for everyone to see? No. 99% of it, will, of anybody, will go unseen. And so when you talk about God having a plan, his plan is for you to go live for him. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things that the church forgets today is like in the early days, especially when I was growing up in, in church, the idea uh, for the people that I had talked to and been around, it was always that they wanted to know what God's calling for their life was. And it's like this always in pursuit of, I want to know my calling. I want to know what God has called me to do. God has called you to live for him. That's the calling. It's like we're waiting for a title 
or something. God just say, you're going to be this, and you're going to be this. That's just us getting lost in titles is all that is. I think being told to go live and to live for me, to live for me to the best of your abilities. Live for me with all your heart. That's the calling. That's it right there. We'll see where everything else goes. God will direct your path, and he'll put you where you need to be as long as we follow him. But always seeking him for this, like a one-name title purpose, I think you can get lost in that. I think that can cause, I think that can cause some problems, and I think it can actually cause some frustration with the believer saying, oh, God never, I've been seeking God for years, and I, I just know there's a calling out there somewhere. It's funny, the very thing you've been seeking is the very thing that you're doing right now. You're living it. It's every single day. That's your calling, is to live for him. And so if, if, if a title comes out of that, if you end up with, a, with a, uh, a position of some sort, that's fantastic. But remember, the plan is always to serve him first. Abortion thwarts God's purpose for the child. God called and appointed Jeremiah for a specific purpose before he was medically viable. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And what he's referring to there is, once again, it's not a, this predestination, but he had put a calling on his life that would be discovered as he grew. This was something he had placed specifically on him and said, you're going to be a prophet. This is not, let me make sure we understand, this is not a comparable thing. It's not something we can look at. He was called to be a prophet. God had made him a prophet beforehand. He said, this is the calling that's going to be on your life. Do you understand that you can receive a calling but you still have to live life. You can receive a calling, but you still have to go live life. That's why I separate the two. And, and, and it's important to, to separate the two and unpack those. So here he's getting his calling, and he lets him know that I had, I had placed that in your life before you were born, but he still had to be a normal individual. He still had a life to live. He still lived for God. And so he had, the, he had this calling on his life to be appointed to be this prophet. The New Testament reinforces the priesthood or personhood of an unborn child. In Luke 1, 26-38, the angel Gabriel visited Mary and the Holy Spirit came upon her, conceiving the Messiah. Later, she traveled from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Six months earlier, an angel of the Lord had appeared in the temple and told Zechariah, the priest, that he and Elizabeth would have a son and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. What a promise. When Mary greeted Elizabeth, the babe leaped in her womb. This was no typical baby movement, but the emotion of joy, a sign that John was already bringing attention to the Messiah. We know that Elizabeth had John the Baptist, and so Mary had Jesus, and he leaps at the, at the uh, John the Baptist leaps at the presence of the Messiah, pointing to him. Scripturally speaking, he's paving the way. He's excited about the coming of the Messiah, and that was always his uh, lot in life, was to pave the way. Miraculously conceived and set apart for a purpose, the unborn John may not have been uh, medically viable, but he exhibited personhood. While not every baby is filled with the Holy Spirit before birth, most are not, <laughs> every conception results in a person who has a purpose. Everyone, under all circumstances, when they are born, Talk about the, the natural birth process. And there's there's a lot of stuff. And I, like I told you, I'm not going to get into the perversion that they're doing now. The natural process of human life and the way that it is brought about. 
produces a plan for that person's life. God has a purpose for that individual. That's powerful. Allowing the sinful world to define personhood gives the power of life and death to human beings rather than leaving it in God's hands where it belongs. Do we all agree that life and death belongs in God's hands? Amen. It's him. They are, I heard this the other day again. I've been hearing some, some different things about it, and I know it seems almost like a movie to even mention it. But they are working and are very, very close to being able to uh, accomplish renewing the genes, and the uh, it's a uh, it's a cell within the human body that ages that actually causes aging, and they have figured out that's why we end up passing away in the 80, 90 year mark. They age out; the cells become too old. They have figured out how to stop that process, and how and are saying now. We, we believe we have found a way that you can live longer than ever before, possibly doubling your age. God's plan was not for it to be that way. In that the moment that we start playing with those things and playing God, now you can look at it from the outskirt and say, young people will say, that's, that's awesome, because it's like a movie. It's like a sci-fi movie. No, this is reality. When reality says, you know what, I think... We can reverse that process. We can make it where you can live to be 200 years old. Now let me ask you a question. I've entertained this. I believe that uh, there's always a counterfeit that the devil offers. Always. A counterfeit that the devil offers in place of what God offers. There's always a counterfeit. In that as these last days roll on and the, the, the mark of the beast is, is uh, we know that is to come. And we know that there's some other things that are coming with this and that it doesn't surprise me that there might be an option for quote-unquote immortality on earth. That is a substitute for what God has. He always, the devil always will bring out something that looks like something God has and he tries to duplicate it. I'm going to create a scenario for you real quick. You're older in age. You know that death is close. And somebody comes to you and says, look, if, if, you'll, if you'll take this mark, I can let you live for 120 more years. Now, can you imagine how appealing that's going to be for a mass majority of people? Like, man, I could... I don't have to die when I'm 80. I can live to be 200. The enemy is sly in the way that he does things. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I know, that's, I know that is what's being worked on. I know that's going to be a tool in the end times. I know that's going to be something they're going to throw out there, and it's going to surprise a lot of people, and there's going to be a lot of people grabbing it. Like, oh, that's fantastic. I want to take that. I'm going to take that right up. Be, be very, very careful about perverting the way that God has created um, if God says this is how long we're supposed to live, I'm going to live a natural life and I'm going to die a natural death. That's just the way it's going to be. Nobody gets to live forever. That's the way it's supposed to be. Like, man, there's a lot of people that are grappling with that today that are going to have a hard time with that. Okay, um, let's, go to, let's go to section three. Finishing up. Yeah, we got a couple minutes. God gives and sustains life. Many societies justify 
taking away life. One of the most targeted groups is unborn children, but the elderly, poor, and people with disabilities are also devalued. This is true, very much so. Governments, legal and medical professionals, and families try to decide who's worthy of life. God breathed his breath of life into Adam, but did not stop there. Isaiah said God gives breath to everyone who walks the earth. The book of Job says the spirit God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Every living person has received the gift of life from God alone. You didn't get it from nowhere else. The, 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 the breath of life and the gift of life, it, it comes from God. We've been talking about that. All right, so what does that mean? What is this lesson, this part of it talking about? It's saying, okay, very much so at the beginning, but the value doesn't end as you get older. It stays the same. The value is still there. So it's saying that we, we uh, are... Unborn children need a voice? Are disabled and elderly need a voice? Where does that voice come from? It should come from the church. The church says we value all people, regardless of age. That's our stance. A child's worth is not determined by the details of conception, including rape and incest. The one who formed the child determines his or her value. That's God. You with me, church? Amen. Because it mentions some... It mentions some deal breakers for some people here. It mentions them. It says incest. It says rape. These are deal breakers for some people. Some people would say, well, you know, because it was done that way, I think we could kill the child. And I'm saying kill the child because that's what that is. Mm -hmm. I, I say we can murder the child. It doesn't matter the way the child was conceived. That child has a soul, and that's God's property. Yeah. I, from a personal perspective I don't want to stand before God to give account for that decision making to take another child's life having to explain to God the creator I'm the created having to explain to him why I made that call no that's not for me to make that's for him to make all life is valuable the concept that death is an option when a child has been conceived in violence removes God from the equation absolutely it takes uh, take an innocent life and adds more trauma to a victimized woman. An unborn child may be diagnosed with an incurable illness and a doctor may recommend abortion. Are we to play the role of God declaring a child unworthy of life and accusing God of a mistake? When we choose death, we are in God's territory. See, and I'll, and I'll say it like this. The way you're born makes no difference. That makes no difference whatsoever, the way you're born. The way you come out, something, it doesn't look exactly right. doesn't matter. It's God's life. That's a, his creation. There's no mistake in that. That child has life, and that life is important to God. Therefore, it should be the church's stance that that life is important to us. The church makes that stance. The church is strong when we stand together and that the church is weak, when we are divided on our answer. And so, as really now, listen, make up, make up your mind and stand there and don't leave. This, is, this has got to be our stance moving forward, that all life is valuable. Okay. Um, in Job 34, the sustainer of life, this is the last part. In Job 34, Elihu declares, if God were able, or, or if God were to take, back his spirit and withdraw his breath all life would cease and humanity would turn again to dust 
unlike Job's other three friends who were rebuked by God for speaking out of turn, Elihu speaks for God. What Elihu states in Job 34, 10-15 reminds us that life itself is under God's control. God is the sustainer of life. So you and I understand that, right? Yeah. He's the sustainer of life. But on the other hand, which is what we're talking about this morning, you and I are God's voice. We are the defenders of that life. We, we, we speak on God's behalf according to his word to defend life and to say that life should exist, not that you can take it away. That's our part. That's our responsibility. And this is why I said at the beginning that the, over the years, somewhere in there, the church allowed things to take place, and they weren't strong in their stance. They weren't unified. And because of that, we're living in the world we're living today. I'm going to put it on the church. It's, it's the church's responsibility. It is not. Look, church, it is not, it is not the politician's responsibility to defend moral life. Why? It's the church's. It doesn't come from politics. The, the, the concept and the construct of what morality is and with the value of life, it doesn't come from politicians. It comes from God's word. And who supports God word, God's word? Amen. Well, I do. Amen. That means that you're a defender of it. And I've said this before, and I'm going to close with this. Why in the world are we letting people who don't believe what we believe defend what we want to defend it? That doesn't make any sense. If you believe that where, hu where human life starts at, at conception, if you believe that, then you defend it. Then you take up the helm and you go and tell them that's not right. But then turn in turn, taking somebody and say, yeah, you represent me and represent God's voice. And you go tell them that's what we want so we don't have to mess with it. Well, you can see where that's landed us. Not in a very good place. But we're out of time. I hope that you guys have enjoyed this lesson. Uh, God bless you and have a great service. Thank you.